Hey everyone, Louis from Kick the Jukebox here. Just wanted to let you know that what you're listening to is the podcast version of Kick the Jukebox with shorter music clips. If you want to listen to the whole shebang, visit our show page at kpiss.fm. That's K-P-I-S-S dot F-M. Okay, thanks for listening and bombs away! Hello and welcome to Kick the Jukebox. It's me, Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. And uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful Sunday night here on kpist.fm, the Golden Stream. In bro- beautiful Brooklyn, Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, the home of baseball in New York. <laughs> yeah. Right? Bushwick? Abbotsfield. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I, I feel like that's one of your jokes, but now <laughs> I've, I've become you and you've become me. I know. It's... Uh, and... People can't even tell us apart anymore. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's really good for my comedy career. Uh, yeah. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I stand. I feel like leaning against no, this cabinet. Please. So last few Kick the Jukeboxes, just for everybody to know, we've been broadcasting out of like this beautiful RV, which is the new kpiss.fm RV. It's wonderful. It has we a got- taxidermied like raccoon in it's it. It's got dice uh, uh, on the rearview mirror. Yeah, it's very us. It's carpeted. It is really perfect for us. Yeah, it, it really is. It matches it, our aesthetic. It should be our home. Yes, I know. Like, if we were like... Hey, yeah, what if I could? I really would. You Would you live in an RV and do it like if you could? Uh, that's a really good question. Um... Uh, you know what? Uh, no, because there <laughs> wouldn't be enough space for all the shit that I collect. True. You know, like, I wouldn't have any room for my records. Very true. Okay. Despite Never the mind. fact that Fuck there's... this place. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. No, it's great for a, for a broadcast studio. It's yes. terrible for a RV. It's I mean, ter- or terrible for, like, a music a living... boy with many, uh, with, uh, many records. Yeah, for a place to, for a place for us to live. Like, you know, the mixers are on top of the sink. Yeah, Like, right. it makes a bit of a, it makes a bit of a problem. Yeah. yeah. We gotta cook something in that oven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe some hot, hot tunes. <laughs> Kick the shoe box. Yeah. We're <laughs> cooking up a great podcast right now. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you doing okay? I was just asking you that before uh, <laughs> we went on the air. How are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well. Um, I just came from uh, an adult Jewish learning class, Ugh. which I took with my dad to be a very good boy. You're such and a good boy. Yeah, it was, uh, I think I was telling you a little bit earlier, um... Yeah, my I my family's very uh, Jewish and religious, and it was uh, on the Upper West Side at this temple, a, an adult Jewish learning class, and it was just uh, kind of everything you thought it would be. The class got uh, was oversold, and there were uh, there were elderly women um, like, no, you 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 can't come in here. There, there are too many people in here. You have to leave an aisle open in case there's an emergency. <laughs> to to me, honestly, this sounds like uh, like. <laughs> a panic attack for me waiting to happen. Yeah, somehow I'm able to, uh, I'm able to cope. But uh, it was it was pretty, uh, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just yeah. I, I mean, I grew up with a you know in a um, at a pretty strict Jewish elementary school uh, that uh, never agreed. Did you go with to my- yeshiva? No, it wasn't a yeshiva. Uh, it was called the Calgary Jewish Academy. I see, I see. And we would pray for 45 minutes every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it made me very tired, the whole praying My thing. dad's greatest regret is that he didn't send me to, like, uh, here they have, it's called Solomon Schechter. Yeah, I sure. Heard of that, yeah, I've yeah. heard of that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah he's, his greatest regret is he didn't send, uh, send me and my siblings to one of those. Well, tell your dad it was probably for the best because yeah. you probably would have been and I and and I wouldn't be here probably I'd be uh, a rabbi a rabbi of course you'd be <laughs> a punk music loving rabbi yeah 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 <laughs> hopefully that's best case scenario yeah seriously yeah uh, worst case scenario what a, a cool uh, a cool like cantor who uh, every now and then I'd uh, uh, break out into like redemption song in the middle of oh one of the prayers my God. <laughs> and everybody's like oh yeah totally oh we love him he breaks into redemption song he's so funky yeah he's funky he's that's very right hip he's and kyle the funky canter we're joking but this is exactly how my parents think of uh, their canter oh that he's cool and funky does yeah. he break into redemption song yes oh and he'll do he'll like in the you know when when he's got to kill time he'll just sing uh like a Grateful Dead, or you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> it's uh, oh boy. Oh, and my dad got 
very mad one time <laughs> uh, because uh, the cantor sang um, Imagine. Uh huh. And there's a line in that song, Imagine There's No Religion. That's right. Yeah. And my dad was not happy. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, yeah, that song's sort of been somewhat of a controversial song for years because of some of the lines in it. Imagine right. There's No Heaven, No Religion, too. Right. I mean, and, but. But I mean, it's pretty tame. I mean, you know, like I don't know. He was really <laughs> pushing the envelope. Yeah. Well, he didn't like that he sang it in temple. Yeah, totally. It's okay out of temple, yeah, but yeah, in yeah. temple, it's it's it besmirches the good name of Hashem. Yeah, the one my, true God. My dad's one of the only people who still thinks uh, the Beatles are blasphemous. Oh my! Oh. No, no, he 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 has good taste. He has. Good taste. He, likes the Beatles. he likes the Beatles. That's nice. I'm glad he likes the Beatles. Yeah, uh, and we weren't even going to talk about. Um, Imagine today. Yeah, we were going to talk look about where we've gone. songs that were. Well, but we I are going to talk might... about the Beatles. We are going to talk about the right? Beatles at Come some on. point. Today. I am at, how could we not? Right for our zero listeners. Yeah, you know, I don't know if we're going out live right now, but definitely we're well, being recorded on the podcast stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely um, for those uh, who are listening on the listener. podcast. For our podcast listeners, our album this week is The Zombies, Odyssey, and Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> which is one of my favorite albums it's just totally totally great and i'm so glad you brought it this week this was uh we, we've kind of been doing a cool thing i which i think is really fun for both of us where each week uh the other person picks and brings in a new album yes uh, we've been doing that for a while and uh, i was very excited and happy that louis uh picked this one for this oh week. thank yeah. you kyle it's a great choice great choice thank you thank you yeah so we're gonna get to that later on but we were not going to talk about the song Imagine. We were going to talk about two other songs. Yes. Kyle, what have you been listening to lately? What do you want to talk about? Um, so I've been listening to some Daniel Johnston. Um, fill, fill our listeners in if they don't know who Daniel Johnston oh, is. Oh, God, where to begin? So Daniel Johnston, I think, mo- commonly gets labeled with the brush uh, outsider artist. Yeah. Um, but really, he's just a... I think he, and I've been throwing this word around a lot lately, so uh, I think he's a genius yeah. uh, artist and songwriter. Well, you sort of brought <laughs> in the last few episodes, yeah. you sort of brought in these uh, like strange outsider like iconoclasts, you know, right. which I think is great. And yeah. also people with severe mental illness. Um, yeah, and that's even fair. Even more so, yeah. last, like, we, last week we talked about Anton from uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre, yeah. this week we're talking about... Uh, and he, he he definitely struggled with mental illness, but yeah. Daniel Johnson, I mean, was hospitalized uh, and institutionalized for much of his career, Yeah, and uh, he had a lot of trouble, but um, his music is, uh, and his songwriting, more than anything else, is stunningly beautiful, mm-hmm. um, s- brilliant, uh, one of a kind, um, insatiable, prolific, um, hmm. and... Uh, yeah, no, I... I Listening to him this and week, and a lot of people, you know, you love him or you hate him, but yeah, yeah. Just just listening to him this week in anticipation of this, like he's like a really tight, good songwriter. Yes. His structure is really his songwriting is very, um, yeah, very tight. I'd uh, yeah, say. it's it's almost kind of regimented. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he has like a gorgeous voice. Yeah, too. and totally like totally unique voice. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think that everything that you're saying about him is true, and it's just like what separates a Daniel Johnston from like a Brian Wilson, you know? And it's like very little, in my opinion. I you agree. Know? There's a lot of comparisons to be made. I would say the difference is it's like Daniel Johnston himself was a pretty sloppy player uh and musician yeah and it's like you know his all of his recordings are demos more or less Mm -hmm. there's no arrangement uh, Mm um until much later yeah um but yeah because he recorded everything uh, for those who don't know in his bedroom on an eight track track, yeah and it sounds it sounds like he's recording it you know on on a like on the phone line, you know, yeah, um, yeah, which it, I it's think is super cool, but it's s- somewhat removed from the sor- from the recording source. Yeah, yeah. very scratchy. Um, and yeah, these are all on tapes, and it's definitely not for everyone. The 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 recordings themselves, but the songs, and I think that's why so many amazing artists have covered his songs because it's just a treasure trove of amazing material to, and you know, um. 
Yeah, prolific. How many? Do you know how many albums he released? I looked this up, but like, no, at least like twelve, thirteen. Oh, I think I'd say within even the course more, of like, yeah. yeah. Well, his the first the, his initial, um, you know, like five or six in the early eighties, he would pump out like one or two a year. Yeah. And, and, and also for people to know, he was giving out tapes yes. of his albums. Uh, he worked at a McDonald's in Austin, <laughs> yes. Texas, where he was living, and he was giving out tapes with people's meals. And it was sort of what he was known for. But he sort of pretty quickly in the Austin scene became like uh, somewhat notable. Oh, like, yeah, people, he was people like were a into him pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And for his crazy behavior and his amazing music, and yeah. he won he won a lot of awards in Austin. Like he won like Songwriter of the Year in like 1985, and then he was on MTV because they did like a kind of profiled the scene type of thing. Yeah, and um, he was there, so he was getting some he was getting some attention. Yeah, but he was never he wasn't signed to a major label until much later. Much later, yeah. But but why don't we listen to part of uh, the song Go? It's by a Daniel song Johnson. Go. Um, it's a beautiful song. It's maybe not one of his better known songs, but but it's really beautiful, um, and it's also I, I used to play this song a lot on guitar in oh, college. Cool. This was my like pretentious, uh, you know, gather around a campfire and smoke weed and pl- and uh, play this song. So. Well, it would have worked for me. Woo! All right, here we go. Let's listen to it. This is "Go" by Daniel Johnston on "Kick the Jukebox." And that was Daniel Johnston with Go here on uh, Kick the Jukebox here on kpiss.fm. Uh, so why, did you, so, I mean, you, you said that you've played this one on the guitar a mm-hmm. lot, but uh, why do you choose this one? Like out of all of them, like what's the significance for you or why do you think this is so notable? I think it's beautiful. I think it's haunting, but I want to hear from you, Kyle. <laughs> um, I think it kind of encapsulates, um, kind of what makes him great i mean it's really a really stunning and unique little pop song but um just it it all it it, that in and of itself makes it worth its while it's a weird recording with a weird guy playing a pretty untuned guitar yes (laughs) yeah uh like making making some notable notable guitar mistakes yes which i think only makes it better yeah i think it makes it really cool um but also explains why he maybe is a bit inaccessible for a lot of people and i think there's a lot of debate about whether daniel john like whether you can say daniel johnston is good i think he's amazing um like even listening to his recordings because i'm you know of the belief and i've said this many times on this show this is like the purity test of my philosophy that virtuosity means nothing and great songwriting you could you could play a great song like you know underwater and it would still sound you know what i mean it would still be amazing it would still hit you in your heart yeah yeah it's sort of so much about songwriters intentions Mm -hmm. and so much about like what's the tone and what's the mood yeah and i mean i feel with this sort of thing it's interesting because i think that the recording technique, the guitar playing, it only adds to the power of the song. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't totally want to hear this cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it just, I just don't think it works. Like I think that, you know, he was very, it feels to me like he was savvy in that part of him knew that he was writing for this sort of sound. I agree. I agree. I think he, and it's so easy and, simplistic and to like you know people people confuse his mental problem you know his mental illnesses with you know and it in some way contributed to the type of person he was and therefore the type of songwriter he was but i think he was very deliberate uh and a very precise and clear thinking artist because he was a great visual artist as well and yeah i think everything he did was intentional and you know, for, well, a great uh, another reason I chose this song is you know he was actually a pretty proficient um, and skilled piano player. Yeah, and yeah. he he actually knew how to play the piano. Yeah. Um, but then when he moved to Austin, um, he 
switch to guitar and he didn't know how to play the guitar yeah <laughs> uh but he wanted to be like a guitar you know like a austin guitar guy and um and i think he worked within his limitations and i think he kind of liked that um you know like working with like you know three four chords and making something crazy and beautiful yeah i i agree with you very much so like yeah, I mean, the only other thing I feel to add to that is that when you switch instruments that you're writing for, it, like, shakes up your songwriter brain. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I just, I also want to backtrack sort of on that line, something you said about his, you know, he, he certainly had his share of mental mental issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I definitely feel like you can't divorce uh, the artist from whatever is going on in their life, mm-hmm. but you also can't contri- You can't say that the that you know the genius of this songwriter is only due to the fact that he was going through problems. Definitely, you know, like I think it's it's more complicated than that, Absolutely. and it's like. Uh, Who's to say that if he wasn't getting the help that he needed, which didn't happen until later when he was institutionalized, mm-hmm. uh, who's to say that he still wouldn't have been writing beautiful songs yeah, like this? Yeah, if he got the proper care, you know. Yeah, yeah, but he definitely, this is a songwriter who has a really unique view on the world. Absolutely. And, a unique yeah. voice, a unique perspective, um, and in that way doesn't sound like anyone else, you know. And that's what more great pop songs that don't sound like anything else. That's what we're that's what we're searching for. I know that's what makes this uh, kick the, the jukebox, jukebox Stone Cold Classic. <laughs> I'm Stone it. Cold Classic. Yeah, Stone Cold Classic. Yeah. Uh, oh, that was great! Thanks for bringing that in. Woohoo! Well, what did you pick this week? Louis? Yeah, so we'll talk about this for you know approximately ten to twelve minutes. So <laughs> uh, I. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we're going to play a Harry Belafonte song from sort of the middle of his career. Mm-hmm. This is from 1977. It's a song called Turn the World Around. The main reason why I wanted to bring this in is because it is totally one of my favorite songs of all time. Wow. And I I know, wow. I only have like <laughs> probably 300 <laughs> most favorite songs of all time. I've never compiled a total list. But like this is definitely one of the songs that I feel really hits me in the heart. And uh, I became aware of this song because it was used on The Muppet Show in the 70s uh, on what's considered like the best Muppet Show episode ever, which Hmm. is Harry Belafonte's episode, where basically he tells the story about how he wrote this song. Hmm. And then there's a production number with all of these Muppets that are designed to look like African masks singing the Mm. song with him. And it's really gorgeous. And Jim Henson considered it his favorite thing he ever did for The Muppet Show. Wow. Which is awesome. Yeah. There's a a statement there. There's a testament to that. Right. So um, I'm just going to actually read, just because I think this is the best way to sort of explain the song before we listen to it. I'm just going to read. I have it here. I'm going to load it up here. Uh, His Just what he said on The Muppet Show about the song, which is just like a concise little thing about what was going on with the song so this is what harry belafonte said yeah this is what harry ba- belafonte said he was explaining the origins of the song mm-hmm. to fozzy bear <laughs> and then all the other muppets like gather around him that uh, amazing yeah so he says i discovered that song in africa i was in a country called guinea i went deep into the interior of the country and in a little village i met with a storyteller that storyteller went way back in African tradition and African mythology and began to tell this story about the fire, the sun, the water, the earth. He pointed out the whole of these things put together turns the world around, that all of us are here for a very, very short time. In that time that we're here, there really isn't any difference in any of us if we take the time to understand each other. The question is, do you know who you are or who I am? Do we care about each other? Because if we do, together, we can turn the world around. That's beautiful. Isn't that great? That's amazing. I know, it's gorgeous. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you know, and like the rest of the episode is sort of manic Muppet stuff. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I mean, with s- some really good Harry Belafonte goodness. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the episode kind of calms down and he like tells this story as a bunch of Muppets gather around mm-hmm. him. So on that note, uh, let's listen to a, a little bit of Turn the World Around by Harry Belafonte in 1977. <laughs> Mountain, turn the world around. We come from the mountain, living on the mountain. We go- 
Okay, so <laughs> I just so wanted to great. I just wanted to get to that do you know who I am? Do you yeah, know who yeah, we yeah. are part? Just cuz I think it's really beautiful. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's so rich and uh really really cool. Really yeah, cool. so you know, just to sort of put this in the context of 1977. Mm-hmm. This is uh interesting for Harry the trajectory of Harry Belafonte's career cuz he really was known for doing these very very poppy calypso records. Yes. And then this album represented a label shift for him Mm. and also him i think kind of grounding himself and uh all the songs on this record which is called turn the world around are all based on like different folk idioms Mm. from across different places yeah uh but the thing about this song i I was talking about this today with my roommate because we were chatting about this uh and like something about this song i think is really interesting is that definitely he went into another culture he is not African. Mm. He is from the Caribbean, mm-hmm. Harry Belafonte. And he went into another culture, learned about the culture, saw it through his cultural lens, mm. and then took it and made it into like a very digestible pop song. Right. That is a very good blend, in my opinion, of that Calypso sound that he yeah. was really known for. There's definitely, par- yeah, elements. Yeah, yeah, elements of that with uh, a really good sort of like African high life sound as well. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. And he was doing that early. Yes. He, you know, because like, I feel like this is very close to Paul Simon I was shit. about to say, yeah. like, he's doing this <laughs> literally 10 years before Graceland. So. Yeah, 10 years before Graceland, mm-hmm. he was doing this. But uh, of course, you know, leave it to somebody like Harry Belafonte to, mm-hmm. <laughs> be a pioneer when it comes to something like this right uh you know and also there's some it, the other thing about it too is that there's something about the blending of these cultures that is so interesting musically and i would like to compare it to what paul simon did hmm. musically but paul simon was coming from such like a hard folk background right uh and sort of like a almost like a brill building pop background true and you can hear that influence on graceland right and i feel like this is sort of what graceland would sound like if it was like not written by paul simon <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's wonderful yeah um yeah i'm not even trying to pass like major judgment on like uh paul simon there yeah. i'm just saying like this is that this is that that sort of idea with like just sort of, uh, I will say all the baggage that comes with Paul Simon kind of removed. Right. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think he, uh, yeah, he is Caribbean, but he 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 he's also American. And a lot of what he did with his calypso was make it. Um, he kind of did something similar with Calypso in yeah, that he agreed. made it poppy and palatable for an American audience. Yeah, for American audiences. I mean, yeah, like Banana Boat song, Dale. Yeah, yeah. I feel, you know, that's traditional. Right. But I feel like the way he r- arranged it and engineered it, like that's almost like a proto-bubblegum song. True, yeah. You know, six foot, seven foot, eight, eight foot, foot punch. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. Um and, uh, you know, his work is also used very well in the 1988 film Beetlejuice, <laughs> <laughs> just to say. And I just I just have a sneaking suspicion that it is probably not in that Broadway musical that's coming out, which will make oh, me very true. angry. Yeah. Well, you never know. They could know. maybe... Uh, they could throw in a little Dale or they'll do it. Or they'll do it like how they put SpongeBob in, in the Super Bowl, where they, like, put him in for two seconds. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, so maybe they'll just, like... Do a throwaway uh, Harry Belafonte thing enough for people to be like, yay, but not enough to actually whet your appetite for it. Yeah, or to have to pay for rights. Yeah, (laughs) right, true. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Well, thanks for listening to that. Yeah, that was great. Such a cool, uh, and uh, it it is cool also. I always love hearing, um, you know, artists that you think you know and their cool departures, so. Yeah, this is a bit of a departure for him, but also is one of his most well-known songs. Yes. Yeah, and and I remember. He's known for this. One one thing I also want to say is I, I actually remember um 
I remember hearing this song as a kid, sure. like a young kid, like when like a, you know, a kid singer would come. Yeah. To, like this was, I remember this distinctly being like played to me on guitar by like a, a middle-aged white woman. In, <laughs> yeah. In Temple, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> no, it was at camp, I think. And uh, we may return to my camp. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> this woman would come like every year because she was like local and would play... Uh, like kids songs and i think she played this song oh i love it kyle yeah. i love it uh let's talk about the zombies yeah <laughs> let's do it um an eloquent segue from louis perlman yeah. this is kick the jukebox on kpiss.fm the golden stream yeah 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 uh we love kpiss and uh we love the zombies yep so let's talk a little bit about the zombies and about this record yeah so why did you uh pick this this week louis? i okay so uh, my my relationship with the zombies is fairly new. It's maybe about five, six years old. Cool. It definitely has to do with my friendship with my friend Allison, who we've mm. talked about on the show before, who uh, is the editor for Rebeat Magazine, who I write for. And the first time I really heard a lot of this album was played live in Central Park by the zombies themselves at a, at a Central Park show, maybe in like 2011 or so. No, later. 2013 or so. Yeah, yeah, very cool. 2013, 2014. Was that part of the 40th re 40th reunion? Oh no, it wouldn't have been. But uh, no, but I did see them do that, and we are going to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> so, uh, my first impression of the zombies is that they, and this is how a lot of fans feel about that. This isn't very unique. Is that they're a really interesting and eclectic and lush. British invasion band. Right. And they are uh, better songwriters than a lot of their contemporaries Definitely. than like Herman's Hermits. Yes. Or uh you know And definitely more sophisticated, much more sophisticated. Yeah, and they kind of always were. Uh-huh. So then I learned about them after I saw them and I met, <laughs> I met them that night too. So really? I was a spoiled little music guy. Whoa! Yeah, there's a We got to kick the jukebox exclusive. <laughs> oh yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. They, they and they also they struck me as very sweet, very down to earth kind of cool older British dudes and like what like why wouldn't I want to <laughs> like hang out with people like that or That's meet people awesome. like that it's also the first night I met my pal Sam Kogan who you met at the K-Piss party because oh. he he's done work for the zombies he yes, I think yes, managed yes. them for a while or something like that yeah, yeah. And didn't they put out another album and he helped they, they put out a few albums yeah, yeah, yeah in the last few years right. actually yeah um very cool we, yeah so Let's let's talk about them at this time. They mm. sort of were imported with the Beatles. They were brought to America to tour uh, in like '64 yep. era yep. time, and they were you know followed by screaming girls. <laughs> the girls thought they were hot. They were very <laughs> cute, sort of strange-looking <laughs> British boys, I yeah. would say. And they had some early successes. You know, they had a single called uh, Tell Her No, which mm -hmm. did really well for them. And they had another single called She's Not There. And that's very the, sexy, which yeah. is sort of the big one. Yeah. And then after that, they released a few more albums or singles, I should say. Mm -hmm. They had an album uh, that did okay with those two songs on it. And a bunch of like blues covers and stuff, yeah. which is good. It's a good record. Mm -hmm. And then they did not have a success yeah. for like years. Right. And they kept writing. They were together. They did some residencies in the Philippines. Oh, they wow. Were, I think it was in Manila. Yeah. Really? Where they were apparently huge and yeah. they got like completely dicked over and they were playing like major stadiums and they were uh -huh. getting paid like nothing a night. Yeah. Like it was just, they were like flat broke. They were hugely disillusioned. And, you know, years went by where they didn't chart, you know, like four years went by, which is like an eternity. Yes. An eternity on the charts. And then they Especially of, back then when it's such a singles market, you know, this was like yes. pre-Sgt. Pepper. So it's like, if you don't have singles out all the time, you're in, in, in deep doo-doo. Yeah, you're sort of, you're sort of done. Yeah. And they're, um, 
manager was dropping them mm-hmm. and then their manager uh, I think sort of arranged a deal and got them a deal for an a thousand pound album mm-hmm. it recorded at Abbey Road yeah and that was sort of their manager's parting gift right to them and that's what begat Odyssey and Oracle yes <laughs> and and we are and and how grateful we all are now for that gift yeah so I think that this album represents a huge leap in their songwriting abilities yeah uh and all the songs this album were either written by rod argent or chris white mm-hmm. who are two of the members of this band yep. uh the lead singer's name is colin blunstone mm. who has a great voice i just yep. saw him play last week oh. at city winery yes so uh, cool didn't love his set but i still think he has a great voice Did <laughs> it was not just like him it set. was a solo set yeah it was a solo set without the zombies and he didn't play enough zombie stuff for my liking and sort of a a lot of his solo career is sort of I don't know like it's neither here nor there Mm -hmm. uh it's not there (laughs) (laughs) nailed it yeah boy that was for (laughs) well (laughs) um uh yeah we'll we'll come back to uh some of my original zombies parodies too so (laughs) oh yeah great yeah 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 this is a this is a zombies parody show yeah (laughs) so yeah um but uh maybe we should talk about the first song Sure. Uh, that we want to talk about. So we're going to play this off the vinyl. Yeah, so we got just, the vinyl in the house. We're just going to do this in track order. Yep. So this is the final track. This is what Kyle wanted to play, and it's a great song. Yeah. So I'm totally excited to hear it. It's called Hung Up on a Dream. It's called Hung Up on a Dream. Let's let's listen to it. Hmm. We are... Kyle, start talking about this song. Tell Weird. me about why you brought it in. <laughs> and we'll see if... I'll see if I can fix this. This is a Kick the Jukebox technical difficulty. Hey, it happens on this show. Hey, We're still learning. now. We're yeah. still learning. We, uh... Our backs are up against the wall here, people. It's uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I love this song. And uh, just in general, I was, uh, you know... The Zombies are one of those interesting groups that I was familiar with. And I think a lot of people are the same where... Their big songs are massive uh, staples of the era, um, and I knew this album was an important one, um, but I'd never just sat down with it, so I was really excited when Louis brought it in. So this song stuck out to me um, just as kind of... I thought it was like the pure, uh, a really cool, pure encapsulation of, or really cool combination of like kind of psychedelic rock, but really like Baroque pop, I think would be um, an easy way to sort of describe the sound of this album. And so um, there are, it, it kind of, and so there are elements of the really lush um, uh, arrangements, which I'm kind of probably going to use that phrase a lot in describing this album which um, is I, I think okay like yeah. it's a lush record yes and it was recorded very fast yes so it's it's interesting but but i love um on this song in particular um it, 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 it's a great song but also uh i love the mellotron you know the this yes the sort of synthesized john, john lennon's mellotron that is mel because they yeah. recorded this at abbey road and, and yeah it's it, literally the had left around instruments yeah it's the one you hear on uh, strawberry fields so yeah um, which is it's hilarious <laughs> i think it's great literally the same machine um <laughs> so yeah. yeah let's listen to part of this song we're just gonna play the mp3 let's do it i can't seem to get this to work all right cool so so such is life. We'll just listen to the MP3. Uh, but yeah, here's Hung Up on a Dream by the Zombies. It's so pretty, you guys. It's such a pretty song. Okay, so that's uh, Hung Up on a Dream by the Zombies. Come on now, people. <laughs> is that great or is that great? It's gorgeous. It's so nice. Uh, I think I figured out what's going on. I just want to see. Let's see here. No. I Am I wrong? Oh, I figured out what the issue was. So Woo! we can listen to the rest of it on vinyl. That's Yay! cool. That's fine. Okay, cool, cool. So, yeah, this song is gorgeous. It. I want to hit on a few little things with this song uh mm-hmm. thing number one is i mean you all heard that movement that happens uh, in between the verse and the chorus yes. of that 
that's like very complex. Yes. Deeply psychedelic. Yes. Obviously. Yep. And led to the creations of the terms um, Baroque pop. That song? This song? Well, this album did. Yeah, Baroque pop slash chamber pop. This was like one of those big records at the time. Yeah. Or sort Which of, is in, such a, in, they're both such great phrases, right? Retrospect. You hear that, don't you want to listen to something called Baroque pop? Like, it's well, great. if you're fancy little yes, boys like we exactly. are, then certainly, yeah. yes. Just walk away, Renee. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's a really interesting movement to throw into the middle of a pop song. Yes, and just to talk more about the history of this record when this album came out it like 100% failed to make waves right like no one fucking bought this definitely initially, it like yeah. almost didn't get released in the states right and then a CBS executive was like no was this a- is Al Cooper from, yeah Al Cooper uh, blood sweat and from tears. blood sweat and tears yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You, do you like blood sweat and tears or do you dislike them I can't remember <laughs> if they're the no, ones that you hate <laughs> no I, I, I like blood sweat and tears yeah um, I like blood and sweat. I don't love blood sweat and tears but I like Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Okay, yeah. I think also, I, I have a weird relationship with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, not as too much of a tangent, is because when <laughs> I was like 13, the name Blood, Sweat, and Tears, I was like, this band must be fucking raw. Oh, and then, you know yeah. I mean? And then they're actually pretty And, I, and they were called like light. rock band. You know, I was like, oh, yeah. this rock band called Blood, Blood Sweat, Sweat, and, and Tears. Tears. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I, I, I I never knew what I was in for. Um, but no, I do, I do like I do like Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah, yeah. Never judge a band name by its yeah. band name. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Al Cooper brought this to the states, and it really didn't sell. Yeah. And by the time that this album came out, the Zombies had broken up. They were disillusioned. They were upset uh, by like their their perceived failures, and they moved on to other projects. And pretty much immediately, Chris White and Rod Argent started the band called Argent. Mm-hmm. And um, Colin Blunstone for a while became an accountant. Oh, really? Yeah, for a brief amount of time. Yeah. But he went on to become an accountant. Like, you know, they need to get other jobs. They right. weren't making money. Right. Which is what it is. Like, I get it. So. You know, this al- this album sort of at the time, no one really cared about it. And then over the course of like period of like 15 years, more and more people were talking about this album sort of in interviews about what influenced them. Right. Including like members of the jam. Mm. Apparently they were like big, like pro- Paul Weller. Is like, it's, yeah. it's like his favorite album. It's his favorite album. Apparently Tom Petty was really into this record, huh. which actually makes sense with some of like Tom Petty's like bigger, more sweeping kind mm. of like, um, landscapey type songs sure, is what yeah. I'm going to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and, and now if you listen to it, I mean, I think personally that this album is up there with like pet sounds, Sergeant peppers, definitely like hands down. It's just like a really cohesive vision. And they did something there. It's in that world and yeah. it's just as, uh, but, but I think there's one, I think they did something different and contributed something different. Hence their coining of, I mean, I think the fact that this album led to the term, the coining of the term Baroque pop, I think is evidence of the fact that they, they were really doing something different, even though they were in this kind of big uh, maximalist world of, you know, 60s pop. Um, so, but but I think one thing that separates it from other songs, is, or from, other, from those albums is you don't get that same... <clears throat> wall of sound quality that you do on you know on like a brian wilson yeah but like pet sounds or or sergeant peppers that's one thing is like everything is there's a separateness that is that i really like Um, oh interesting yeah and you like sort of the conciseness of the production is what you're saying on this record i mean i love like a wall of sound i love pet sounds but just but like what you don't (laughs) i hate that gross uh, brian wilson nonsense aren't you which instrument is which aren't you a white guy who's a music geek (laughs) yeah come on i know (laughs) no but but i think it's cool that they 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 you can have this lush arrangement while still having separation um, that's one thing that I think makes it really cool and unique. Um, but then also, um, I think there's no filler here. Whereas on Sergeant Pepper, they had, you know, there's a lot of nonsense on there. Uh, yes, and, uh, I do agree with that. And I think yeah. every, I think, you know, and this is something I think we talk about a lot. I mean, I, there's no song, even though it's big and lush, 
I don't think that it was too indulgent. And I think that's specifically yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, of this like of the song we just talked about, "Hung Up on a Dream." Um, it is this big sort of sweet, but it's not. It doesn't feel indulgent. Um, where a lot of their contemporaries were, and I think a lot of psychedelic rock went that way and sort of indulged a lot of this like we're high as fuck and we don't know what we're doing kind of thing. Definitely. They're, the zombies had something to say with these songs. Uh-huh. Uh, and this one apparently was sort of supposed to be a description of a dream that Chris White had. Mm. Uh, I think Chris White wrote this. I think that's correct. Um, yeah. I know they went back and forth. Yeah, it's they, half Rod Argent. Yeah, it's half Argent and half White. So yeah, it was about a dream. Um, but something that's interesting is apparently people at the time who did listen to this album, all like five of them, <laughs> felt like this was a bit of an anthem for uh, like the love generation and mm. the protest movement yeah. that the whole term hung up on a dream huh. was sort of more aspirational than the zombies had intended it to be. Mm. And they, they appreciated that you yeah. know, analogy, but that isn't what they were going for. Mm. You know, it, apparently a lot of the stuff on this record, when you listen to it now feels like very flower child. Yes. You yes. know, like we're going to talk about time of the season, <laughs> which is arguably their most famous song. And we're right. going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it a little later, but like that, thinking about them writing that in like isolation basically from this movement and then <laughs> yeah, how much yeah. it contributed to that movement is right. really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. All right. All right. Let's, let's, let's move on. Let's cleanse the palate. Let's do it. I want to play the poppiest song from the record. I, 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 as soon as I heard this, I was like, of course, Louis picked this one. Oh yeah, this is this is the bubblegum track. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And All right. I have, it, shout out <laughs> to the other t- few songs that I was thinking of choosing that people should seek out on their own that we're not going to play. For but you have right to solidify your brand reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do have to solidify my brand. But like, shout out to like Care of Cell Forty Four. Yes. Which I, is, that was my second. Yeah. Song. Yeah. It's like a gore. It opens the record. It's a gorgeous love song. That's and a it shout lets out. you know what you're in for. It does. It's like this like ja- it's like this jaunty like orchestra or like cha- like chamber love song with this like kind of Brian Wilsony like vocal breakdown in the middle of it but yeah. it's all about this guy's girlfriend's getting out of prison he's yeah. like preparing her room he's really excited about it like <laughs> that's great that's a great theme Such to write a song about yeah and then I also want to shout out um, Butcher's Tale mm. which comes right before this song we're going to listen to friends of mine Butcher's Tale which is basically apparently about Chris White's, uh, he had some relatives that were in World War One, and he learned about some specific battles that happened uh, during World War One, and wrote this song about them. And this song also, I just want to talk about it for a little bit. Uh, it's super dark. Yeah. It's like grim. It's very sparse. It's very scary. It's the only song on the record not sung by Colin Blunstone. Mm, yep. And... It uh, was uh, definitely a song that was very much appreciated, uh, apparently, by people in Vietnam at the time. Well, but that's what, that's what I was actually going to say. Yeah. Um, I, I t- took this song. I mean, it's a beautiful song, but it, it's weird. Of all the songs on the album, the record company, when they were promoting it um, in the U.S., pushed this as a single because they were thinking they wanted to get the anti-war people yeah. to get on board, which I think is just so, it, it, that's just a hilarious encapsulation well. of wrong-headed label heads thinking, uh, you know, like, oh, people hate the war, and this song is about war being bad in the most general sense. Uh, this is, should be a single. Like, uh, I, I also think it's a great example of art versus the art versus commerce themes that Mm. run through the later 60s Mm, yeah that so much of what we think of as being alternative culture was just so commodified yes and and it was the first time that it ever happened right and and that's something we're still kind of reconciling yeah you know like there weren't really any outsider artists that we know about from the late 60s you know yeah because they were it's like they were signed like any yeah any weirdo yeah it's like the same uh i feel like that happened then and like in the early 90s like you know after like when alternative rock became it's the same thing of like you know any weirdo they just sweep them up and like see what we can do with them and you know what speaking of weirdos we're being weirdos who are running 
long <laughs> with our chat. So let's listen to a little bit of Friends of Mine, talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll move on and listen to the the, the zombies classic, Time of the Season. But for now, here's uh, a little bit of Friends of Mine. I'm rooting for Liz okay. and Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny because <laughs> apparently um, all what they've said is that all of the uh, uh, <laughs> couples that they were singing about, they were all real couples. Really? And they all have broken up or divorced. Ah, oh, that's Except amazing. for maybe like one. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, and one of the ones that they sing about is Jim and Gene, mm. and Jim is uh, was the Zombies bassist for many years in like the Zombies reformation, huh. and was a member of Arjun as well. Oh wow! Yeah, but he unfortunately he he had a really I just want to shout out to him. He had a killer stage presence when I saw them. Um, I, I he just seemed really affable, huh? And he he unfortunately passed away last year. Uh. So I just want to say, yo, you know, Jim Rodford, we love you very much. Yeah. So that one is obviously very pop oriented. It's very bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super well written. The chanting is like actually pretty complex in the back with that yeah, like yeah. metronomic rhythm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if metronomic is a word, but it is now. Yeah. The yeah. listeners. So yeah, but like. This one was a uh, single. Mm. Hey, guess what? Totally failed to chart. <laughs> no one gave two shits about this, which I think is so funny. I think that this is like very radio friendly. Yeah, it's the bubblegum song. It is the yeah. bubblegum song. And this has been, uh, you know, a lot of the bubblegum compilations I've sort of downloaded off the internet that are like sort of eclectic bubblegum. This is included on yeah. them, you know, Rightfully like so. I get it. Yeah, uh-huh. this is in the right place for that. Yep. And it's uh, definitely really more of the zombies like very twee side as well yeah but they still have those big huge soaring harmonies that makes it such a cool it's like uh yeah it's like a, a brian wilson bubblegum song or yeah something. definitely it's like it is it's like brian wilson but just skews a little more towards like the bright and a little more British. <laughs> yes, definitely more British. Definitely more this British. album is so British. It is. It is. It is. There's a. There's a. Um. Well, there's a dutifulness to it. Mm. Uh, they had no time in the studio, and they super mega rehearsed before they got yeah. in the studio for this. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're hearing in the arrangements. Huh. It's like really tight. Right. And uh, yeah. Uh. So yo. I think that we should talk a little bit about time of the season and talk about how this is the end of our broadcast <laughs> for for the week. Um, but we'll be back in two weeks from now. Um, so you want to talk about it and then end on time of the season? I think what I want to do is talk about it a little bit and then end on it. Sounds so awesome. this is Kick the Jukebox on kpiss.fm, the Golden Stream, and I'm Louis Perlman. I'm Kyle Gordon. Follow us on at Kick the Jukebox uh, on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at KTJB Pod. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, interact with us if you have any albums you want us to cover. Yeah. we'd be happy to get some suggestions. For Maybe sure. we'll have you on as a guest. For sure. I mean, how cool would that be? Come on now. Come on down to the RV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, time of the season. Come so on. this song <laughs> did not chart when it was released in yeah. 60, 67, 68. Mm-hmm. And then like had a massive success in 1969. Right. So it's like the culture had to um, catch up with this song. Totally. And this song, I think, is like deeply psychedelic. Oh, my God. This has a weird fucking uh, organ solo. <laughs> this predated This predated Come Together, right? It did predate Come Together, yeah. yes, by uh, I think two years. Yeah. yeah. This Abbey, that's Abbey Road, right? Yeah. So. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and this, this really b- brings in the zombies blues influence, mm. but in a way that is 
very sort of strange and sexy. Yeah. And yeah. I'm moving my hips back yeah, yeah, as yeah. I say sexy. But like jazzy, too. like I feel like it was kind of a harken back to, it kind of feels a little weird on this album, honestly, I think. Like it's it, a little like yeah. their earlier kind of stuff, but it's like so, it is cool and different, but it's not cool and different the way everything else on this album is. Uh, yeah, no, it definitely feels a little earlier. It feels a little more like Tell Her No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Argent, or sorry, Argent wrote this. Blundstone did not like this song. Yes. <laughs> and they had a fight in the studio about it, which is so funny. Uh, <laughs> where apparently, <laughs> uh, Blundstone didn't have a lot of time with the song and wasn't mm. singing it rhythmically correctly. And they were having a fight about it <laughs> where apparently the fight ended with Blundstone saying to Arjun, why don't you fucking come in and do it? <laughs> uh, and he thought that this song, he was like, this is my least favorite song from the record. He just didn't get it. He yeah. wasn't into it. And then this is the one that is like very much calling card for the zombies. And it's like uh, everyone. I mean, it's a, this is a massive song. Yeah, this is this is massive. And I feel like any time you're watching a TV show or a movie and they're like, we're in the 60s, I know, this man. is the song. Yeah, yeah. This is the licensed song. But yeah. it's great. Oh, no, it's real good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, this is the real deal. And one thing I want to say, we didn't get time to play it, uh, but if anyone, um, uh, just because just it's funny, there's a, I was pretty much first introduced to this song oh yeah we didn't uh, have time to do this oh yeah uh yeah this is worth seeking out yeah um by uh there's a kind of horrorcore rapper from the early 2000s called necro and he i think he called himself like the porn rapper and he would talk yeah, about like he was very really graphically yeah. like disgustingly horrifically graphic uh descript like sex songs and he sampled this pretty much he just sampled this song directly with very little uh, other instrumentation and it was a song called "Who's Your Daddy." He's like, <laughs> "I'm it, fucking you in your fish nets. You come with your, your fucking comments." <laughs> He's kind of like a wannabe like Eminem if he just like talked about like how big his penis is or something. Oh, <laughs> how wonderful! No, 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 no. I I remember Necro, and and I think it's cool that he used this as a as a sample. Actually, and the, I think. Well, like it does speak say, toward, towards the everlasting <laughs> nature of this song and, and the everlasting and nature of the phrase "Who's Your Daddy." Yes, yes, the face, yeah, who's your daddy? Which I it I, comes from this. Well, I don't, I mean. No? I, I feel like you could lay claim to that, but really that wasn't somehow in the vernacular before he said it. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe, maybe not, hey. because, I mean, there's that whole thing in this, who's your daddy, is he rich like me? Right. Just so sexy. Oh, yeah. my fucking God. Speaking of sexy, let's listen to it. Let's end on this. Kyle, this has been such a treat. Woohoo! Okay, here we go. It's uh, <laughs> Kick the Jukebox, and here is uh, just a little bit of time of the season. Talking about music all the time. 